Dan Meehan. Hey, Andrew. How's it going, my friend? Oh, it's going fantastic. How's it going with you, buddy? Pretty, pretty good. I got a nice glass of bourbon. The Bears got Khalil Mack. What else could be going right in life? I mean, that is everything right in life right there. So <laughs> everything's good. You know, uh, how's how's the engagement life? Still uh, still going well for you? Yeah, pretty good, man. We got a ve- we got a venue set up for, or not picked out, not set up, picked out for uh, our uh, eventual wedding, and we've got a liquor store and a caterer. So that's some pretty good stuff going on with it. All right, you got a place to dance, and you got a place to drink, and a place to supply the booze. So that's all you really need, you know, for for weddings these days. So uh, I, I I said that like I I told all of our listeners that uh, Dan had proposed to his his girlfriend, and she said yes. Um, that podcast actually got dumped because it didn't record at least most of it. So it's because Andrew hates us and doesn't want to record again. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's exactly how it went down. Um, Will, I don't want to leave you out, buddy. So how you doing? Uh, this uh, fine uh, uh, Labor Day evening. I'm doing I'm doing quite well. Um, the only thing I cr- would critique with uh, Dan's uh, list for everything going right is an opening day victory against the Green Bay Packers, which, counting down the days, I'm hoping it's coming. So that's about the only thing that's missing right now. But other than that, life's going pretty swell. Awesome. Um, is it is it Jay Cutler days away, guys? Is that what this is? It is Jay Cutler days away. Yes, Jay Cutler days away. Oh my goodness! Fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, <laughs> Dan Dan kind of jumped up the lead there a little bit. Uh, so for those who have been living in a cave um, for the last forty eight hours or so, um, Khalil Mack is a Chicago Bear, and so basically that that deal went down um, Saturday morning. Maybe Friday evening, somewhere in that vicinity, uh, two first-round picks went to Oakland along with a third. Uh, coming back as Khalil Mack in a second. Um, there was an extension, six years, $141 million, with $90 million guaranteed. Uh, the going rate for quite possibly the best defensive player in the entire NFL. So... Um, not a whole lot to, uh, to add to that at this point, but... Uh, um, well, why don't you, why don't you jump, jump us off here and, and let's talk about how, how the, the trade for Khalil Mack changes the calculus of this season, because we've already kind of gone, uh, briefly through, you know, kind of our expectations for this season. I think maybe we should, we should talk about how that has changed. Where were you before the Khalil Mack trade and where are you now with it? Well, I believe a lot of us thought that 2018 would kind of be the transition year. Like the window is opening uh, that's no longer uh, with ING. The the window is now open. The Bears are a competitive now. I would honestly expect if this team doesn't make the playoffs, it's actually a bit of a disappointment. That's a lot to expect of a team to go from. 5 and 11 to, you know, potentially between 9 and 7 and 11 and 5 to make that playoff window. But that's honestly where you have to expect this team is with the addition of Khalil Mack. It's an an incredible move made by Pace. I'm sure we will go into the logistics of it and how awesome of a trade it is as far as reasonably small draft compensation in exchange for an all-pro player who who is at a position of dire need for the Bears. But like I said, to put it in a nice short little phrase, the window is open. The Bears are a playoff competitor now with Khalil Mack in the fold, and Bears fans should be very excited. 
I mean, I, I can't I can't agree with you any more than that. Um, I think you you said it really well when you said that the the window went from opening to open. Um, Dan, let us have it. What what are your thoughts here? What what are your expectations going forward? I mean, now? it's hard to not kind of piggyback off of everything that will just kind of threw at us. It's not only open, but it's a breath of fresh air for pace. And he even said it in the press conference, like. It, some people, some teams want to play conservative. Some teams want to be aggressive. He wants to be aggressive. He went from maybe letting this thing play out for a year and let the window open the following to he he just pulled the window open and was just like, all right, let's do this. And he got a player on a Hall of Fame trajectory. That's what Khalil Mack is. I mean, obviously, I don't know where it fits in because I thought 500 was reasonable. Maybe 10 wins is more reasonable. Maybe he's only a one-win difference. Who knows? There's so much that still needs to be played out between seeing what the offense needs to do and what the defense is going to be because, yes, Khalil Mack is a generational Hall of Fame trajectory-type talent, but you need to see him play with the team, and he needs to know the playbook. Like, yes, he can go out there and just be on a pitch count the first two, three weeks and just rush the passer. But he still needs to know, especially because of the intricacies of the coverage and the sets and everything that, that Fangio does. He's not an exotic blitz guy. We've been over this thousands of times, but it's he he does run intricate gap schemes and stuff like that of just fill and, and, and your assignment. Yeah, so having gone back relatively recently to, to look back at kind of what Fangio was doing when he was in San Francisco – it didn't seem like he used Alden Smith, who was his premium pass rusher, as a guy who dropped into coverage all that much. Uh, he might do it here and there. Uh, the thing with, with Khalil Mack is, as we've seen, if you watch any of his highlights or any of his film, he can cover. Uh, it, it's it's not something that he he's unable to do. So... It, it's something that can come along with time. I'm not super concerned about that. I do think what we're going to see from Fangio early is you're going to you're going to call the defense, but you're basically going to tell Khalil Mack at least early on, "Hey, look, you're you're playing, you know, the run setting the edge and you're rushing the passer. Those are the two things that you need to concern yourself with right now." And maybe after the bye week we see some some different looks and things like that, but for right now, you know, I don't think we're going to see a lot of him going out into coverage and, and things like that. So a pass rusher, I mean, let's face it, a pass rusher is probably the easiest position to, to come in and play without having any practice time, without knowing any of the, the play calls. And, you know, let's face it, the guy hasn't, the guy hasn't practiced all offseason. He's, he's been working out at, at the University of Buffalo. But otherwise, you know, he hasn't been doing a whole lot of football unless he's practicing with the team. So that. Yeah, so I, I I think he's going to be fine. I'm not I'm not really concerned about that. But I think as far as him and how he fits into the defense, he's going to more or less just kind of do what what their what what his job is, which is to look stop the run and and set the edge, and then rush the pass. Go get the quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not super he, worried the, about that. The thing I would like to point out that if you watch any of the like or read anything about what his teammates in Oakland have said about him, he is a football junkie. He's he has an inside linebacker mindset on the outside where he's essentially an edge player, 
where he he knows things. So I don't think the playbook's going to be like a huge kind of thing for him where I think he's going to kind of pick it up re- relatively quickly compared to you know other players who might be brought in who or might have been brought in. So I think that's just a thing that's a plus for him where he's going to acclimate to the defense relatively well and pick up the scheme and the formations and the calls and the verbiage and everything relatively quickly just based off of everything you read and hear about him in terms of his football brain. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with that. Um, I, I think one of the things that's sometimes gets, gets lost in – this whole conversation with adding Mac to the Bears defense is I, I, I think people look at Mac and say, Oh man, you know, this guy's going to go get us 10, 15 sacks and maybe force a few fumbles. Um, otherwise he's going to, you know, wreak havoc in the backfield, you know, things of that nature, which is all true. I, I, I firmly believe that that's kind of where he's going to be at. But the thing that I think a lot of, especially fans just don't, necessarily think about is how he's going to affect the other 10 guys on defense and you know when we start start with you will here and and i know that 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 you've we've talked about this you know offline and stuff like that but um toss us a few you know names of of guys that you think are really going to benefit from uh having khalil mack you know playing on this defense well, to start, I think the the guy that we're all excited about is is Akeem Hicks to you know take even another step further, and is especially when it comes to his numbers. He's a guy who's faced double teams nearly his entire time in Chicago, and reasonably so. He's by far the most talented player along that front line for the Bears. But now with Mac, especially on the same side, uh, from what we've seen in practices to this point. Uh, it's going to be extremely difficult to put two guys on both Mac and uh, and Hicks at the same time. So more likely than not, I would assume the the help to go towards Mac more than anything else, um, and probably leaving Hicks a slightly more favorable matchup. Additionally, um, obviously the big name is going to be Floyd. You know, it's not going. He's at most going to have to face maybe a tackle and pass coverage, and uh, and only a tackle. He's not going to probably have any. Uh, any uh, running back help or any tight end, uh, any tight end chip going out on him because all that attention is going to be focused towards Mac. Now, I think those, in my opinion, are the the forefront ones. But as a linebacker, I would definitely say that guys like Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith are going to greatly benefit from this due to the fact that uh, offensive linemen are no longer going to be able to shed and uh, get upfield so fast because got a guy like Khalil Mack can wreak havoc not only in the pass game but in the run game as well. So I, when you're a linebacker and you have more time before a lineman is getting in your face, that makes your job m- tremendously uh, more achievable throughout every single play. So I think uh, especially Roquan Smith is a guy who is a little bit smaller, and I think a lot of people say, and I agree with them saying that he would struggle with getting off blocks. I think a guy like Khalil Mack certainly helps uh, helps the line stay in check and on the line of scrimmage for longer, whether it's a pass play or a run play. So those would be my initial guys who I think will see an immediate immediate boost due to Khalil Mack's presence on the field. What about you, Dan? I think uh, I think I think Will kind of poached all the. <laughs> All the biggest names there, but there's definitely some other guys that I think are going to... There's some other guys. I mean, the one I would actually really kind of gravitate towards, just because 
he's shown, especially from the inside, especially as a zero tech or a one tech, whatever you want to call him. I think Eddie Goldman's going to really benefit because he's, he's a guy that can collapse the pocket. And when you have Akeem Hicks pushing one side of the pocket, almost from like, I guess he, he five techs, he three techs. I know he does a few different things, but when you have Khalil Mack and Akeem on one side, and then you have Leonard on the other side, especially with a lot of the four man nickel fronts, they're going to be running where Akeem's going to be at three tech and, and you're going to have Eddie next to him. And then Khalil and, and, uh, Floyd coming off the edge, that's going to leave a lot of room for just Goldman to use his unadulterated power to just push the pocket backwards. And when you have those two guys collapsing the edge, and unless you're an athlete, the level of Lamar Jackson, which majority of quarterbacks aren't, there's not a whole lot of places to go except forward. So I think Eddie Goldman's going to run himself into a few more sacks than than we were initially expecting, just because he only has a bull rush. He doesn't really have moves, so to speak. He's just big and strong. And I think that's a guy who's going to benefit pretty greatly just based off the very presence of Mac being on the outside off of Hicks's hip. That'd be my big guy, at least. All right. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely always have been a proponent that the pass rush leads to turnovers, especially in the secondary. Um, everybody would love to have four or five all pros in their secondary, but if you have those guys up front, you can have, you know, solid to good players in your secondary, and they're going to look like all pros because, you know, when, when the quarterback is under duress, he's going to make bad decisions. It's as simple as that. It's been proven time and time again. Um, I, I think that the, 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 the secondary that has not, you know, really generated a lot of turnovers in Vic Fangio's uh, uh, first three seasons here, I think that's going to start to you're start to see that change, especially with Mac and Floyd on the outside. But the other thing that I, I think people overlook too is how this is going to affect the offense. Um, lots of short fields, a lot of three and outs. They're going to get more opportunities to score points. They're going to see shorter fields with turnovers, uh, punts. You know, from deep inside their own territory. I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of a lot of benefits that are hidden to having Mac on the field. And, and that's why I've been saying that Mac elevates 21 other guys by his presence. And it's not just the defense, it's the offense as well. Because, look, if the offense gets a little bit of a lead, he's hunting the rest of the game. And if he's hunting, you know, the turnovers will follow, the sacks will follow, the the poor field position will follow and all of that benefits the the bears offense and and makes their job easier so this this addition is it goes way deeper than just um you know getting a guy who can who can sack the quarterback it it really does change the entire complexion of this team completely well that's what happens when a generational player becomes a part of your roster yeah i mean he's uh, make no mistake about it khalil mack is a (laughs) generational talent i i don't like that term but it, it applies to him. Um, so, you know, kind of piggybacking off of the, the Khalil Mack news, uh, Brad Biggs pointed out, and we've kind of been waiting a little while now for some news on, on potential extensions for, for current Bears young players. I think that uh, Eddie Goldman's probably the, the main guy who's looking at getting money. I know that there's a, a certain segment of the fan base that thinks that 
uh, Adrian Amos is is the second coming. But um, let, let's face it, I, I think most of us would agree that Eddie Goldman is a better player. Uh, he's not as consistent as far as being healthy, but when he is on the field, I think his impact is greater than than that of Amos. So, um, well, I, I you know just going to touch base with you real quick on this one, but. Do, do you see this this coming? And if you had had to choose between the two, would you would you rather extend Goldman or Amos at this point? I definitely think uh, Goldman is the. I, I can definitely see an extension coming for Goldman at this point, uh, and I think I'm going to jump more into the question of which one's more important. And I think that's hands down Goldman. I think it's by a wide margin as well because finding a 3-4 nose tackle is extremely difficult. There are very few guys out there that can essentially take on two players and maintain their two offensive linemen and maintain their gap on the majority of snaps. You know, Dan mentioned that Goldman doesn't exactly have many tools in his uh, toolbox when it comes to a pass rush, but man, what's really important with the 3-4 nose is that he can clog up a hole despite having two guys on him the majority of run plays, and that's exactly what Goldman does. Those guys are few and far between. Injury concerns aside, Goldman's the guy that's far more integral to this defensive success moving forward. He's the guy I'd want to extend, and I very strongly believe that we see an extension here. Uh, ideally, you want to see it before the season starts, but the MAC deal might might change it up a little bit, regardless of how the money's moved around. Maybe Pace wants to wait a little bit before he has another large press clipping out there for the Bears. But either way, um, I, I, I've stated Goldman, I think, is far and away the guy that the Bears need to go after. You can replace a safety like uh, Adrian Amos, who is assignment sound. You can't replace a nose tackle like Eddie Goldman. That I would agree with as well. Well, it's it's one thing, like you said, to just hold your ground, but like when you when you start getting into the nitty gritty of what a nose tackle actually does aside from holding ground, when you when you have to two gap and and feel both sides of what you're doing, especially when it comes to the zone blocking where they're trying to push you one way, that that's not an easy thing to come across. Like I mean, it's easy to just like say, oh, guys like Daniel McCullers a couple years back that the Steelers drafted who. Who are just big people, and yeah, they can hold their ground. But the the feel and the ability to play both sides of the a gap and really just get to the spot of where the ball is going—that's something that that's a commodity. Look, guys like Damon Damon Harrison, I think is his name, if, if I'm remembering correctly, in in Giants Land, he he got like what ten million dollars to just be a nose tackle. That shows you it, it's got value, and those guys don't come around very often. Yeah, and I absolutely couldn't agree more. Absolutely couldn't agree more because the thing about a nose tackle is that their impact is never going to be seen on the stat sheet. But I can guarantee you, uh, especially going through a bunch of the scheme work where at Augustine College where I play now, when the nose tackle gets reached or doesn't do his job, it makes it makes uh, stopping the run an insurmountably tougher task for the rest of the defense because now you have linebackers playing gaps they didn't expect to play at the start of the snap, and you also have linemen who are out in front of you where they shouldn't be. So a guy like Goldman, absolutely insane commodity to have. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and um, look, I, I'm not a huge, huge fan of, of Roquan Smith as far as – just being able to get off blocks, I, I've made that that known uh, to pretty much everybody who. Why will do you hate Roquan Smith? <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I love his athleticism, his ability to, uh, you know, cover guys in, in, in the open field, his speed, all that kind of stuff. So getting off blocks is the one thing that, that I really thought was lacking in his game. But this is where a guy like Eddie Goldman comes into play. Now, if Eddie Goldman can stay healthy all season and he's there playing, you know, at least 14 games, let's just let's set it at 14. And if he can do that, he instantly makes Roquan Smith a better player. Same thing with Danny Trevathan, although Trevathan is is usually pretty okay with that. But um, he makes Smith a much better player. And and look, at some point, possibly as soon as next year, Trevathan's not going to be here. And you're potentially looking at having two smaller guys who are fast, who don't really aren't the most physical of inside linebackers with Roquan Smith and uh, last year's you know, this year's fourth round pick in uh, Joel Aibuniwe. So if those two guys are going to be the future at inside linebacker, you need to extend Eddie Goldman because he makes their job so much easier. And, and if right. and if Roy Robertson Harris becomes the guy that he looked like in the, in the preseason, well, uh, man, your front seven, it's, it's as good as anybody's in the NFL. I, I, I'm comfortable saying that. That that's that's a pretty, I, I I won't necessarily go that far just yet. It's, I it's on its way, but to your point of with the smaller inside backers, Andrew. Like I mean, you can go back to the Dick Duran days of when guys like Rosie Colvin and, and and Erlacher and Holdman were younger. How did he free up those guys? He had seven hundred pounds of ass in the middle between Trailer and Ted Washington. This is kind of the same idea with Goldman next to Hicks. Hicks is three forty. Gold Goldman's three forty, and Robertson's what three hundred even, if not heavier. So you're talking about nine hundred or almost a thousand pounds of ass taking up space and and, and two thirds of the guys on the line who are playing that front are very good and we know that in goldman and, and hicks so it just it, it all equates to really what they're trying to aspire to do on defense despite really the line play being way different than what fangio ran in san francisco san, his line in san francisco was significantly smaller and, and let's think about it here. When you think about historically great linebackers, I think a lot of the times those nose tackles and the guys up front really get undersold. I mean, you look at Ray Lewis. He had Tony Saragusa and Haloti Nada plugging up holes for him to, to scrape across and make plays on. Erlocker, you have uh, a, a lot of his prime years were, were with Tommy Harris clogging up holes in front of him. Derek Brooks, you have a Warren Sapp in front of him. So, I mean, I think a lot of those uh great generation linebackers not to take anything away from what they did they have a lot of awesome pieces clogging up holes and making plays uh more available to them uh throughout the game don't forget about booger in tampa booger mcfarland that was he very, people forget he was a very solid just space clogger for for guys like brooks and mm-hmm. yeah he was a space clogger and, and sap was the three technique like like tommy yeah. harris i think I think uh, you're, you're probably looking at more like a like a Spice Adams or uh, there's a couple other guys who came through that that uh, one technique or what you consider the nose in a in a level. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Tom, Tom, Tommy played three tech. Tank Johnson. You had Tank was Johnson the, there. Oh, you had right. Dusty Dvorak. You had yeah. um, 
uh, who was the whole, uh, Stephen Paya? You, you had a couple guys come through there over the years. That was a, more of a rotating position, but three technique. They always had a good good player there. But uh, to your point earlier, Dan, that would be uh, nine hundred and forty six pounds of ass, my friend. Oh my god, my bad. <laughs> I looked Sorry. it up. It's Akeem Hicks's three thirty two. Roy Robertson Harris is two ninety four, like the highway. And then you get Eddie <laughs> Goldman is at three twenty, my friend. So that's nine hundred forty-six pounds of ass. I'm sorry, I was fifty-four pounds short of a thousand. <laughs> Jeez, they better open up a new new uh, meat store because six forty meats is going out of business with that kind of hunking load. Yeah, they need to get a five guys out there in Lake Forest if they want to get those guys up to a thousand pounds at the front there. We need a thousand pounds of ass in our city. I tell you what. Everybody needs a thousand pounds of ass in their city. That's what I'm saying. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's 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 a lot of ass. Nine hundred forty-six pounds. Uh, your three interior linemen um, with two of the most physically gifted human beings on on the planet flanking them on the I, outside. I say, that's I am, impressive. I am really interested to see the stunts and the and everything that they're going to run with with uh, Hicks and Mac coming. Or, coming off the same side that's oh, yeah. going to be a lot of fun well you, you know what's going to happen is is, is i visualized this in my mind a few times now and i think if you do kind of what what is traditionally a tackle end twist um where you would you would have uh the inside of the two guys which would be the tackle in this case akeem hicks would kind of plow into the line and have khalil Mack swing out around him well, I think that the, what's going to happen is that the, the line is going to be so concerned with Khalil Mack swinging around that they're going to leave Akeem Hicks unblocked a lot of times, even though he's supposed to be the guy that picks off the blockers. I think that they're going to go after Mack and leave Hicks alone, and Hicks is going to get free Over, runs. Oh, yeah, overextend themselves to protect, yeah, it, to protect it, themselves it, on Mack, yeah. That's the kind of stuff that we're talking about when we say that he makes other players better because he, you have to scheme for him. And, and and Matt Nagy has has made it clear that you you have to you have to scheme for him. Um, it, it's it's just the fact you, you you have to move a guy when when you see what side of the line he's he's on. There's a there's going to be a call when teams play the Bears from now on, where they're going to switch their protection, and that mean, might mean a back or a tight end. But you're going to see a guy get flipped to the other side that Mac is on if he's going back and forth between the right side and left side. And that's that's the game that's going to be played from now on. And they're basically just going to ignore the other 10 guys when they do that. And Vic Fangio is a smart man, and he's going to make them pay. Yeah, something I really do hope we see, it's something we saw a little bit with Purnell when he was here before his knees really got shot. You would see Purnell and McPhee line up inside from time to time being that he was at that point in the in the, in the in his tenure the most talented man on the Bears defense and he would blitz from the inside or he would drop into coverage as a decoy if Mac is and he is by all accounts and what we see on film everything we think he is i want to see him be put inside from time to time just to really mess with teams i don't even need him to blitz just the very presence of him being lined up typically where maybe Trevathan is and Roquan is playing your more nickel backer. Just the very presence of him, and he just sits down, say, in, like, the hook zone in the middle. 
what's the problem? Oh, we'll see that because I've seen them do that with Floyd. So there's no reason that we wouldn't see them do that with Mac as well. So what? I, I mean, I'm just saying that's what I'm, I'm hoping. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I believe that we'll see something like that. Now, what I think would be cool is if on nickel, when you're when you're going with, you know, two down linemen and two outside linebackers, is having Floyd and Mac on the inside, and then having either, you know, Goldman or Roy, Roy Robertson Harris, and then Akeem Hicks on the other side on the outside. And then just just see what happens. Stand them all up, and just see what what the offensive line does because they're going to freak out, or they're going to call timeout, or or whatever. They're not going to know what to do. So you want a predator package, is what you're saying? Oh, I want I want the predator <laughs> package to be on the field every every play. All yeah, come that, after. <laughs> and it goes along with saying that they've experimented with what I call bounce packages as well, where you got guys moving around the line of scrimmage uh, pre-snap. You know, I uh, the adage for whenever I played bounce was you just don't leave uh, more than one gap away from the gap that you're eventually going to hit. But if you're moving around, I mean, you just Andrew just mentioned that you game plan for Mac. So there's going to be two people paying attention to Mac. So if he moves around, you have the entire offensive line saying, well, how do we get two guys on him now? Because he's not where we want him to be or not where we expected him to be. So now you have the offensive line trying to figure out how the hell they're going to block this play now as he keeps moving around. So that every time he moves around, they're changing the play, essentially the blocking scheme every single time he moves a gap. Which, like Andrew said, is just going to create chaos. The, the 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 other part that that could really play into this is it again different scheme, different coaches, different regime. When Peppers came to Chicago, they gave him free reign to say, "I'm lining up strong side, I'm lining up weak side, or I'm lining up three tech." They gave him that reign to say, if he saw something, they're going to shift him into it so he can extort a matchup. I hope they give Mac the same reign because he's smart. Let him do what he wants to do. If he said if he if he's lined up strong side and Floyd's weak side, but he sees something and says, "Hey Leonard, let's," really just want him to have the ability to extort matchups. If he thinks he can do something, let him kind of audible his way. Not like obviously like, "Hey Eddie, go out to five tech. I'm going to come to nose tackle." No, you know, let him be able to switch with with Floyd and, and just be able to extort what he sees. Because that's kind of the ability you have when you have a generational talent, similar to when they had Peppers, like I said earlier. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's going to be awesome. I think that this is going to be um, this is such a great move, and and it's hard because we're all so giddy, and we've kind of spent a lot of the last forty eight hours really, well, more than that. Or not quite forty eight hours, right? Because it was it was yesterday morning, or no, Saturday morning. So it's been no, Saturday, Saturday morning. morning. So it's, it's Jeez, we're going on seventy. We're going on seventy two hours. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this has been like a whirlwind of just just being amazed and and how Duh. amazing that this this has been. So I'm gonna switch gears here real quick because there is something else that's that's you know newsworthy that's going on, and that is the the Bears have, have finalized their initial fifty three man roster. There might still be some changes, but. Uh, you know, obviously, I, there's usually some some surprises. Um, the practice squad has been named and all that good stuff. So, Dan, we're gonna we're gonna start with you. And um, why don't you give us a couple couple names that you, that was kind of a surprise? Maybe uh, you know one or two guys who made it, and one or two cuts, and then we'll 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 switch gears to you. Um, the 
well, to start, the the one that made it that really kind of shocked me, we kind of talked pre-show about it, I understand Adam Shaheen is hurt, and I understand the need to maybe want to extort having a secondary U tight end. I don't really understand why Daniel Brown's on this roster. I Nothing against him. I just don't really think he serves a purpose. Like, he seems like a nice enough guy. He's athletic. He's a converted wide receiver playing tight end. He just doesn't seem to have a point. He's not like Broniker. Broniker's a four-phase special teamer. I don't believe that Brown is, to memory at least. So that one, that one kind of shocked me. I'm also shocked that Kylie Fitz was not cut, because Kylie Fitz was the king of, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and I missed in the preseason for quarterback sacks. I mean, he had a few, I know, but just... Yeah, he still had two and a half. Yeah, so it's just, but like, I feel like he had four or five where he was in the face of the of the quarterback and just yeah. missed. He could have had a like, lot, yes, I, and, and that's <laughs> something that, uh, that bugged me a little bit about him, too, and, you know, it just, he just plays out of control, and, and he needs to learn that. If he learned how to be in better control, I think Kylie Fitz could be a guy who, a, who gives you eight to ten sacks a season, maybe as a... As a situational guy, Situational guy, yeah. Guy, yeah, yeah I, and the one that, that didn't make it that shocked me was, I know he's not popular amongst all fans. I always thought Craven LeBlanc had a pretty good skill set and was especially good in the nickel because what he, what Bryce Callahan lacked in ball skills but made up for it in physicality, Craven LeBlanc was the opposite. He wasn't necessarily the most physical guy, but he had better ball skills and, and intuition of when the ball was in the air. So I was actually just shocked he didn't make the team. I mean, I actually, again, not, not I actually had Craven getting cut, so yeah, that didn't shock me. Well. Yeah, I mean, again, not everyone's got different views on it. I was just kind of blown away because I thought he played well the, the the time he was here. I mean, this preseason, admittedly, it was rough for him, but I didn't think it was bad enough for him to lose his spot. So that's, I mean, that's where I'm at with the 53. Um, I mean, a pleasant surprise for someone who did come in. For me, I knew he wasn't going to get cut just because of how high they took him. I thought Bilal Nichols played really well. And I really liked what I saw from him early on in the preseason. Agreed. So, uh, Will, what do you got? I I'm, I know that you have some guys that, that are different than, than Dan, I think. So why don't you, uh, why don't you give us a couple guys? Um both prize makes and cuts. Um, I, I have two surprise makes, and uh, one is Hironis Grisou. I have no idea what he's Hironis Grisou is gone. Really? It has I just pulled up their official website and it has him on the. It says they carried nine and Hironis Grisou's on it. No, Hironis Grisou was let go. He was in let place go of Mac. And yeah, when Mac was signed. Uh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. Sorry, I pulled it up onto the Bears' official site. I thought I was good to I'm go. I'm looking at the Bears' official site. He's not on it. Interesting. I must have pulled up an old one of it. You, yeah, you My must apologies. have. My apologies. Yeah. But that's why you have two, because the other one is Marcus Cooper. Speaking of people, <laughs> I don't know why they're here. Marcus nope. Cooper would be that Nobody does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I have no clue i mean he he did every single thing possible in practice and in game to guarantee he would not get a roster spot and what do you know he got a roster spot i mean 
I don't understand. I mean, it is literally um, a, a, the adage is shit rolls downhill. Well, his shit's been rolling downhill for over a year now, and and it, we have not seen anything <laughs> for him since. Yeah, I mean, it, it's well, someone, why do you hate Marcus Cooper? Someone kicked a little pebble off a hill uh, week three against the Pittsburgh Steelers when he decided not to run all the way into the end zone, and it has just tumbled downhill ever since. I, I, I mean, I feel bad for the guy because you hate to see one play completely dismantle a player, but it absolutely has. And he's looked lost on the field. He's looked lost in coverage. He isn't exactly anything to look at on special teams. And obviously, as uh, his disastrous uh, turn against the Steelers would suggest, I mean, that's that's just uh, he hasn't provided much on special teams since that point. So for for me. He absolutely bottles my mind. Jump in here real quick, Will, because I, I I've been thinking about this, and Marcus Cooper's been hurt, right? Uh for some period of camp, yes. But I think he's still hurt currently. Is he? Well, here's my theory on this: if he is still hurt, I wonder if they don't want to pay him the settlement to waive him as injured. And then pay him an injury settlement, and they're waiting for him to get healthy enough, and they know that he's coming. Waiting, waiting for him to just get healthy enough so they can clear him, and then just say the moves with you. Yeah, and he's going to stay on the yeah. street, and they could sign him later on if they needed to. But I wonder if he's not close enough to where they're just waiting to cut him, and then they're going to resign, you know, bring back somebody else. Because what I don't understand is. Um, I, I honestly thought that a guy like well they, they when they traded DeAndre Hall I thought that that was a, a route for Jeremy Mincy to make this team because he is a backup at safety and he can play corner um, that's a valuable player to have on your team so I you know with DeAndre Houston Carson has got the broken arm he's obviously on the on the roster right now and they're carrying him you only have one backup safety and that's Deion Bush. Um, it seems a little strange, no? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The fact that only one backup safety is on your roster isn't exactly a secure plan heading into the season. Uh, yeah, I could def- I definitely see that route of what what you're talking about, Andrew. With that, um, it's just something I threw out there because I'm, I'm I'm looking at the roster right now and I go, man, you know, you said Cooper kind of banged up and and couldn't he? make a case that he would get an injury settlement out of this. And, and, and that's why, you know, you have to have a guy be kind of on 100% when you caught him to avoid that situation, right? I mean, isn't right. that the way it goes? Right, because they, they bit it with uh, Houston last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, had to, they had to pay Lamar to go away. But then I want to say the Texans claimed him, released him, and then the Bears brought him back out of I don't want to call it desperation, but I it was need. desperation. They okay, it was the same week they brought back Chris Brzezinski. It was just it was desperation. <laughs> hey, there was a lot of desperation last season. Oh man, any time that Chris Brzezinski ends up in the waiver acquisitions, you know that that's when you've hit a low point in your in your season. The draft doctor loves him some Chris Brzezinski. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, well, now that now that John go. Fox is gone. There will be no more Chris Brzezinski, so no more Machan yes. Ryan, no more uh, Chris Brzezinski. There's a few guys that were John Fox guys, and we will never have to see them ever again, and I'm happy about it. Um, 
so for me, yeah, just getting back to circling back to Jeremy Mincy, that's that was a guy that I thought played well enough. He backs up two positions. Um, one of those is especially a need right now because you only have Deion Bush backing up both safety spots. Um, let's say uh, you have Eddie Jackson get banged up a little bit in week one. Well, you are in trouble because – there is not anybody who can cover anybody at the safety position. Adrian Amos, okay? Yeah, <clears throat> strong safety, and that's all. <laughs> you got um, a point. Why do you hate the pro football focus, darling? Man, <laughs> why do you hate Adrian Amos? But I would say that uh, uh, you know, at the tight end position, wide receiver position, strong safety, running back, quarterback. Hunter. Actually, Pat O'Donnell's staying is a little bit surprising to me. Um, I thought that they may have made that switch, but um, clearly they, they didn't. Um, I'm also a little surprised that Patrick Scales ended up sticking around when when they brought in that kid from uh, Oregon. And I, Oregon? I, I, I can't think yeah. of his name, but um, it, he, he was linked to the Bears for a while in, in the draft process. People thought that he, they would actually spend a pick on him, so the fact that he's gone is a little bit interesting. Um, they did keep a lot of outside linebackers. Um, let's see. Aaron Lynch, Kylie Fitz. I was, I'm surprised that Fitz and Irving both made it if you're going to keep. I thought it, I thought it was one or the other. And I really thought Irving outperformed and, Fitz. And the, other, and the other would hit the practice squad. And I agree with you, Dan, that Irving definitely had the better preseason over Fitz. I even heard that Fitz in practice was good at training camp. Or not fits up. Irving was good in training camp, rather. Irving showed a lot more moves in training camp, that's for sure. He definitely grew as a pass rusher overall this this summer. Well, that's interesting. So if there is a uh, – my guess is that they kept both Irving and Fitz because Aaron Lynch is not 100%. Um, he, they're probably carrying him early in the season like a few of the other guys in this roster. Uh, he'll probably be – inactive the first few weeks of the season, but when he's ready to go, my guess is that either Fitz gets um, redshirted, you know, they find a phantom injury for him. He had a shoulder problem. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah, and the, and the bane of Jordan Morgan, who also didn't make this roster, perhaps surprising to some, but overall not in my opinion. He just doesn't look NFL strong enough, man. That's the biggest it's issue I saw. so weird because that was supposed to be one of the, the – things for him is that he was supposed to be needing help with his technique and he was supposed to have all the other NFL tools and that just didn't end up being the case and exactly we were talking pre-show you draw up people who should be good NFL wise and you draw up uh, Jordan Morgan on a on a stat sheet you know measurables you're like holy crap this kid's got something and he just never translated that so is, is anybody was anybody here, you know, surprised that John Timu and Jonathan Anderson both got cut? No. Personally, I, for me, no. I think Timu Timu is a two down thumper who's slow, and they don't need him. I thought Anderson had a better shot just because he's better in special teams, I think, due to athleticism purposes. But 
I wasn't like blown away by it because you get they're carrying four inside backers already. I mean, especially with the amount of linemen and outside backers they were carrying, they really didn't have room for a fifth. I mean, I understand that. Uh, I think I'm a little bit surprised that both of them got cut. I mean, it's tough because you can't stash either of them, either of them on the practice squad. Uh, they both eligibility was gone for both of them, so I understand that that's a little bit tough. But then, in some ways, you think that they maybe uh, they maybe. Uh, I mean, I don't think Josh Woods is exactly someone that you hope to accomplish the job that either Anderson or Timu would have if you get into desperation and need to call up a guy like that. Uh, I, I guess I would say I'm mildly surprised. Uh, especially with some of the guys that they kept. I mean, regardless of their reasoning, uh, like you said, a guy like Fitz, I would maybe sub out for the value of uh, someone like Timu, who you're comfortable with coming in, at, at least as a placeholder in the very least. So the fact that they cut both of them, yeah, it surprises me a little bit. I'm with you, Andrew, on that one. Okay. Interesting. Um, all right. So let's move over to the to the practice squad here because um, – there's a couple of interesting names here. There's some guys I didn't I didn't really expect, and by interesting means names you haven't heard of yet. Well, there's also that. Um, so the first name here, and we're going alphabetically here, is uh, Dijon Allen. So Dijon Allen was uh, he played left tackle at the University of Hawaii, but he is very small. He's undersized. He's undersized as a center, which is um, probably the position that he would end up playing potentially long-term in the NFL. Uh, he's too small to play anything but center. So that was a guy who really um, I thought was, was a very odd addition to the to the practice squad. And, and I, although he played okay in, in the preseason, I, I just – I don't get it. That one is a little bit of a head, head scratcher to me, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. That I was like, Allen, really? That's a it's a bold move. That's not someone who I would have carried. I'm with you on that one. All right. So, and by the way, we, we lost Dan. I think he had a, a power surge or something at his his house. So he is probably not going to make it back for this podcast. But uh, stuff happens, so we got to move on. Um, the next guy is Abdullah Anderson. So Abdullah Anderson is a defensive lineman. Um, Looked like he split some time with uh, nose tackle and five technique. Uh, I do have him down as having one and a half sacks in the preseason. So, um, although I just did a uh, an article called the Rush Report for Windy City Gridiron, uh, shameless plug time here, um, and I actually took away all one and a half of his sacks because, uh, quite frankly, they were just cheap. They were cheapos. So um, they were just kind of sacks happen. And so what are your thoughts, uh, Will? I, I, this wasn't a guy that I thought of all the defensive linemen. This wasn't one of them, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. You mentioned a little bit that he is a, he has he boasts some kind of versatility, which I think is important when you only carry five defensive linemen. I know you run a 3-4, but... Yeah, I mean you're you're definitely you're definitely a little bit thin on the defensive line at five people. So I guess when you have a little bit of versatility, it helps. But I agree with you. There wasn't anything really impressive that I saw out of Abdullah Anderson uh, this this entire preseason and offseason. So I have to agree with you. I think there were probably a couple better options. Um, but yeah, at, le- at the very least, they got a versatile guy on the practice squad that can come in. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of guys like you know, Kayvon Walker was my guy. I thought he showed some some really nice moves on occasion. There were some other times where he just completely disappeared. But um, you know, as, as a guy who was a part time player in college, I, I thought that he had um, you know he he had a lot of the same kind of uh, talent that I think Jonathan Bullard has. He just hasn't had a chance to showcase that yet. Um, like I said, I think he averaged something like like 10 to 14 plays a game at Maryland. And I couldn't figure out why, because he was in the backfield constantly. So it was a, it was a strange, strange situation, um, in my opinion. But uh, just uh, moving on to the next one here. Quarterback Tyler Bray. I don't think that that's a surprise for anybody, really. Um, yep. No, I think I think he earned his way onto there for the most part. I mean, obviously, he's someone who still knows the system. If for some reason the plague comes to the starting quarterback room, you know, at least he knows the offense, and he showed that he was at least semi-capable in the preseason. No problems with having him on the practice squad. I'm fine with it. Oh, here's the guy, uh, Nick Williams. Sorry, going oh, back to D line. Um. He's cut, right? He's not on the team. I believe so. Looking it's at this real Walt quick. Nichols, that was uh, year five, at least on my list. Which, God forbid, I think this list has <laughs> been proven faulty on this show already. But I have uh, Bullard, Goldman, Roy Robertson, Harris, Hicks, and Bilal Nichols as the five. Okay, that's what I'm showing too. Okay, so that's. I mean, man, Nick Williams, I thought was a guy who was going to take take uh, John Jenkins' spot as the backup nose tackle. Um, I thought that, that made a lot of sense to me because he could play the five technique as well. I don't think that Jenkins is really a guy who's athletic enough to do that. But um, so some some surprises there. If you wanted to keep an extra, you know, six defensive lineman, um, that that was a guy who made some sense to me. So um, that that's another surprise. Um, so moving forward, Tanner Gentry, um, the Great White Hope, is back on the practice squad. Gosh, I can hear Dan screaming from here. <laughs> That's that Tanner Gentry, my friends. It has to be the most poetic justice that the biggest cheerleader for Tanner Gentry didn't make it to this point in the podcast. Rest in peace, Dan Meehan. I, I got to say, um, this is also surprising to me because I, I was really impressed with DeMarcus Ayers and... I, I really didn't know what he was all about before, you know, kind of getting a chance to see him. But if if I remember correctly, Demarcus Ayers should have practice squad eligibility left. And why you would keep Tanner Gentry over a guy like that is is beyond me. Um, you know, Ayers showed a lot of speed and athleticism uh, in the preseason. He also did a did a pretty pretty good job returning kicks and punts as well. So that was a guy that could back up in that spot if if you know heaven forbid there was a uh injury to Tariq Cohen or, or something along those lines. So it was just a strange that that was a strange um addition there um in, in my opinion. But uh Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. That would be the exact player I point out as someone who I'd rather have in than Gentry. Um and I mean, 
it, this isn't even you don't even have the excuse of well he's familiar with uh, with the offense he he's not you know it's a new offense like I would definitely go with the guy who's shown more overall talent uh, for sure and the and the larger potential we know what Gentry can do and that answer is not very much. <laughs> it is this is all very true. Um, so then moving on there's 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 two cornerbacks that come up next. Uh, Jonathan Mincy and uh, Jonathan Jonathan Joseph, Michael Joseph, Michael Joseph. Jesus, Jonathan um, Joseph is a tad bit older and a lot richer. Yeah, you know, just wishful thinking on my my part then. Uh, so so two guys that that I'm I'm glad to see here. If they didn't make the roster, I'm glad to see both of them on the practice squad. I thought these were were correct decisions. Uh, what what are your thoughts, Bill? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Michael Joseph's a guy who I have a bit of a soft spot for playing D3 football myself. Um, a few of my friends went to uh, University of Dubuque as well, and you know they say that uh, he was a phenomenal player on the field, and his uh, his study of the game was definitely uh, beyond the rest of the people on the team. Uh, he's someone who really lives, sleeps, eats, and breathes football. So, you know, a little soft spot for him, a little biased. I'm perfectly okay with admitting that. But I think he showed the proof in the pudding on the field, at least to some extent, that he has uh, that he has some potential moving forward. Mincy's a guy who surprised me as the year went on, um, especially due to when he was signed to the team, because he was signed before you even got Prince of Mukamara and Kyle Fuller in ink to come back to Chicago. He was signed before either of them came back. So there was, I, at least to me, that signaled some sort of confidence that he could line up and play, you know, at least in some, you know, capacity on the field, to, regardless of who they ended up getting in free agency. And to see that he didn't even make the 53 kind of surprises me. Trust me, I'm happy we have him as an option, but... I guess it surprised me that he fell all the way to the practice squad. I, I think the way he played throughout camp and preseason warrants a practice squad spot rather than a 53-man roster spot. But I guess that just would that surprised me a little bit. Disappointed me might be the better word. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. I, I, when I was at camp, I thought that Joseph stuck out to me. I thought early on in the preseason he did as well. Um I don't know if he was banged up a little bit towards the end there, but I didn't really see a whole lot of him later on in, in the preseason. So I'm, I'm going to assume that he was just kind of beat up and they weren't playing him a whole lot. Um, so moving on, there's a, there's a pair of running backs. Uh, the next on the list is Taquan Mazel and Ryan Nall. Um, I'm not surprised that Ryan Nall made it to the yep, practice I, squad. You, and you and I have voiced our opinions on Mazzell already. <laughs> and Taquan Mazzell is there's no place in the NFL, in my opinion. So i very shocked by this. Yes, yeah, uh, William Ingalls' Dead to Me award is bestowed upon <laughs> Taquan Mazzell as of right now. Uh, might, I like that. He might be in the Hallis Hall, but he is dead to me. As uh, far I like as it. So we might have to have make that a weekly, weekly, yeah. weekly segment <laughs> here. Yeah, um, yeah. So we have a nine-man practice squad going into the season. You and uh, you won't be able to convince me otherwise. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't get the Mazel thing. I I do see a bright future for Ryan Nall, though. I think um, depending on how, if you can make the successful transition over to part fullback, part wide tight end. I think you can really get something interesting out of Ryan Nall because Ryan Nall, let, let's, let's not forget that when he was in college early in his career, 
he was actually a tight end, and then he was converted to running back. So he has soft hands. He knows how to under, run routes. He knows how to block. We saw him play some fullback uh, in that last game against the Bills in the preseason. Uh, he looked okay doing that. Uh, and, and here's the thing, you know, the kind of weapon that you have here is fullback dives. He can take it to the house on a fullback dive because his straight line speed, it takes him a few steps to get moving, but once he does – He's got pretty good straight line speed. So if you take a bad angle on him at the line of scrimmage, you're not catching him. He's gone. He's gone. And I don't care, you know, 80 yards on the field, you're probably not going to catch him with that kind of straight line speed if you take a bad angle right off the bat. So, um, and then he's a guy that I think can kind of do a little bit as far as H back, tight end split out wide. We saw him do all that kind of stuff in training camp because he did play running back. So I I think that that's the role for him and he could be a hell of a weapon, you know, in the future. He just they just need to figure out, okay, we need to carve out a role for for Ryan Nall and figure out what that's going to be and perhaps um in 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 the future when they're not wanting to pay Trey Burton anymore and maybe Adam Shaheen becomes your number 1 tight end and Ryan Nall becomes kind of your replacement for Adam Shaheen and for Michael Burton. Um, that could be a really interesting position, um, you know, in my opinion. So that, that's a hell of a weapon. Yeah. The name of the game was versatility when it comes to Ryan Nall. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more that, uh, that his role in an offense that is controlled by Matt Nagy that uses so many, you know, different alignments for that kind of tight end, fullback, H-back build, man, Ryan Nall could be thrown all over the field and he could have a lot of options moving forward in this offense. But I think we would all agree that there is some things that he needs to learn a little bit more at the NFL level, particularly reading blocks as a runner would be a big thing for me. Not that we would exactly want him taking a large bulk of carries uh, in a game, but that's one thing that I saw while watching him play is that his ability to read blocks is lacking a little bit uh, from from my estimation. Yeah, I, I don't. He's not a running back. Um, but let's just make that clear. If they're if the Bears are keeping him on this roster, it's because they view a role for him in the future, and that future is going to be something different than than what we saw. And he did enough different things in training camp and got enough different parts of the offense down that I think he can transition easily into a fullback tight ends type of role. Um, all right. So moving forward, here is the, the one name that I looked at and I said, I don't know what a James stone is. Um, so I'm looking it up now and James um, on my site. Um, it says the only exception is stone, a center who was cut by the Raiders on Saturday, entered the 20, uh, entered the NFL in 2014 as a UDFA with the Falcons has appeared in 21 career games, 19 of those with Atlanta between 2014 and 2015. And his last two seasons have been and two uh, games with the Raiders last season. So I don't exactly know how the practice squad eligibility works out with that, but Hey, he's a backup center, and uh, he would be the Hironis Grisou that's now on the practice squad, at least from what I can see from that brief uh, analysis right there. I think you're allowed, what, is it two or four veterans now or something like that? I think that was the... It's a weird system of games played and along with or to use practice squad eligibility. So, yes, you're allowed veterans, but... uh, Because if I'm looking at this, I'm going to guess that he was on the practice squad in 2016 because he was on he played 
with the Falcons in 14, 12 games, 9 starts. In 15 with the Falcons, 7 games, 1 start. I don't see anything in 2016. And then 2017, he had two games with the Raiders, no starts. So I don't know that he burned an entire year on the practice squad yet by looking at these numbers. So I I could see how that's possible. If he was just out of football in 2016 or maybe he – he had a season-ending injury in the offseason, and that and doesn't even show up here. But um, he's a center, so there's two centers on the practice squad. I, I find this to be extremely odd that there's two centers. You have Cody Whitehair and Eric Cush and James Daniels on your 53-man roster. What the hell do you need two centers on your practice squad for? I don't get this at all. This is very strange to me. Yeah, I would say a lot of their moves as far as offensive line to this point have been very strange. Um, I mean, we've discussed at length what, you know, James Daniels should be starting at center, not Cody Whitehair. Cody Whitehair should be a guard. You know, the progression as to who should start and where I think has been very interesting to watch. Uh, I'd say probably confusing might be the better word there. But, yeah, I especially with as versatile as a front uh, front five as we have and, you know, the guys on the 53, yeah, having those guys on the practice squad, very, very strange. Yeah, I would thought at least you'd want to keep a, a tackle somewhere to try to develop, but I digress. So we're going to wrap this up with uh, inside linebacker Josh Woods. Um, this one gets me every time because – my... There's a dude out of Wisconsin. There's one out of Maryland, if well, I'm not mistaken. This this and guy's this is the one out of, of Maryland. This guy's out of Maryland. But when I was growing up, my best friend's name was Josh Wood. So I kept looking at this name, and I'm like, this is just driving me insane because I'm like, first of all, I'm like, who the hell is Josh Woods? But second of all, the name was just the name recognition was like, man, bringing me back to my childhood. So, um. Yeah, so this is strange. I I don't I honestly don't remember him playing in the preseason. I don't, nothing stood out to me. Um, he's listed at six one two oh four, which is basically a strong safety size. Yeah, so that's what, he, that's what he played in college was safety. Okay, which, so which makes it interesting why they're trying to transition him down to to linebacker. Which, I think we're going to start seeing a little bit more hybrid safety linebacker you look at Joel Ayibunyue and despite the fact that the dude looks like he's 250 pounds because he's so ripped um he really is only 220 pounds which is not big for uh inside linebacker in the NFL that's that's kind of (laughs) that's kind of tiny I mean there's a number of safeties in the NFL that that weigh 220 so um I I think that Vic Fangio wants to have his second linebacker be a sort of hybrid linebacker and strong safety role where he doesn't have to take a linebacker off the field or he doesn't have to take a lineman off the field in nickel situations and he has a linebacker who can do both. Cover guys is fast enough to to stay with uh, slot receivers and tight ends. Um, but it's also big enough and strong enough to to participate in the running game. So I, I think we're seeing what Vic Fangio's vision is for the future by looking at some of these guys because you, you look at uh, Roquan Smith, uh, Joel Aibuniwe, and now Josh Woods, and you go, okay. 
I kind of see where you're going with this. And and let's face it, it, it you know, Adrian Amos kind of fits that role. And I think that maybe this might be why Adrian Amos might not fit here long term and, and might not get an extension is because what do you need that guy for? You might as well get two free safeties out there if you're going to have a hybrid linebacker safety as your second linebacker on the inside. Right, yeah, I, that's definitely something to watch as uh, the season goes on and as uh, as defense, not only in Chicago, but across the NFL continues to develop. Because, I mean, who is it, James Buchanan in uh, Arizona kind of has that same type of role where he's a linebacker but safety, defensive back. Yep. Uh, especially with how often teams are willing to motion and split out wide and you have kind of receivers like Tariq Cohen in uh, Chicago and uh, Ty Montgomery in Green Bay where you can so easily motion to an empty set. It's very beneficial to have a linebacker who you aren't freaking out in coverage when they go empty and you know that uh, that running back's either running a real route in motion or running some kind of post pattern that you know your linebacker is not wanting to <laughs> cover in any extent of the imagination. But yeah, that's definitely a really interesting development that you pointed out and and i wonder if a guy like jeremy mincy isn't wasn't transitioned to safety because they view him as a guy who could be a free safety and can line up and play as a nickelback he can play outside He he has enough size to play outside as well he has the quickness to play inside and he has enough physicality to play safety so i wonder if the long-term big picture here is is maybe not starting to come a little bit more into focus in what Vic Fangio really wants to do. And and perhaps a few of these players fell into his lap. Like, obviously, Akeem Hicks was a, was a Ryan Pace guy, okay? Um, Leonard Floyd, I, I think, was both of them had input, but that feels a little bit more Pace than, than Fangio to me. Um, I would agree. I think that that Eddie Goldman was too good of a, a guy to pass up in the second round. Again, Pace went ahead and said, I need, I need to have this guy. But after that, you look and you say, okay, Roquan Smith feels more like the guys that that, that Vic Fangio has had in the past at inside linebacker. Um, and you're starting to look at how he used hybrid safety linebackers or big safeties and, and, and big nickel packages and different things like that. And now all of a sudden you, you see all the moving pictures or pieces and you, and you, when you take a step back, you say, Oh, okay. This is starting to come into focus for me now. Now that Vic Fangio has been here long enough to have the pieces in place, it feels more like he has a, a vision and it's starting to come together for him. And I, I, I can't wait to see what it all looks like at the end of the day, but um, I think putting money on the front seven is smart because I think you can plug and play on the back end with Vic Fangio and the guys that he likes. I don't think you you necessarily have to spend a lot of money to get those types of guys. So um, I, it'll be interesting to watch this unfold because they're going to have to make some decisions upcoming in the upcoming, you know, two, three, four years as far as uh, cuts and salary cap and things like that. But uh should be interesting to see what happens. Well, I, I think uh, we should probably get moving here. We're, we're past the hour mark, and Dan has not uh, rejoined us. So I'm going to assume that, that he is done for the evening. Um, so, Will, why don't you uh, take us out with the, the usual 
the usual, the uh, usual in order stuff. of the usual where can you find us uh, if you are looking to find past episodes and or make sure you are subscribed for future episodes as we will be doing our normal two show a week type schedule where I believe usually midweek Wednesday is usually our target date we have more of an in-depth you know talking you know who, which players are doing well going in-depth on scheme and roster and so on. Uh, th- that's usually our Wednesday show and then our pregame show, which we usually either have uh, Saturday or very early Sunday prior to kickoff. Um, so if you want to be subscribed for those future episodes, you can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes. Uh, if you are friends with us on Facebook, we have uh, we always post that to Facebook, but you can mainly find not only our episodes, but also all the content that myself, Dan, and Andrew are producing on Twitter. And you can find my handle at Will Ingalls, Ingalls spelled I-N-G-A-L-L-S. I write for the Bears Brothers. doing. Uh, I'm doing the five key matchup shows for them every week uh, throughout the season for them. And then uh, we also have our first on-location live show coming up this coming Saturday at Pheasant Run Resort in St. Charles. So if you're bored and want to come see some live Bears podcast action, you can head there to see us at 1 p.m. at Pheasant Run Resort. Andrew, where can we find you? And then once you finish with that, I can plug Dan's stuff. (laughs) Uh, So you can find me all the time, twice a week, at Windy City Gridiron. Uh, doing the blog thing, and on occasion I will toss something out for the Loop Sports. Um, I probably will get started on a little Khalil Max something or other when we finish up here. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BearsLink82. Um, and that's pretty much it. And for our fallen brother for the rest of this episode, Dan Meehan, you can find him on Twitter at DanMeehan90, Meehan spelled M-E-E-H-A-N, and then the number 90. Uh, He occasionally writes some stuff for uh, Bear Goggles On if you're looking to find uh, his authorship throughout the season. And with that, Andrew, take us home, buddy. All right. Well, I think, uh, needless to say, uh, the Bears fandom community is a little bit excited about Khalil Mack. Just a little bit. So we are very excited as well. Um, This is awesome. I can't wait for Sunday. We are going to come at you. So instead of doing our normal Wednesday podcast, which will be uh, what we do during this season, I believe, Will, right? We're going to keep it on Wednesday. That sounds good. Uh yeah, Wednesday sounds good to me. If okay. anything, it'll be it'll be middle of the week. Yeah, middle of the week. So this is going to be in place of the the first week, middle of the week show. There's no game to talk about, but there is Khalil Mack in the 53 man roster, so we've got that under control. We will come at you guys with the pregame show before the Packers game. Everybody else does the post game. We're going to bring you the pregame, bring you our keys to the game, all that good stuff. Get you hyped because we need to beat. The Packers, uh, which if anybody follows me on Twitter knows I have been giving them just a little bit of something, you know, <laughs> the past couple of days. And I, I have no shame in my game because, look, for I'm 35, 25 of those years, the Packers have been just an abomination of uh, fan base. And, look, you get sick of it. And guess what? I'm going to gloat a little bit. And I just – really hope that the Bears win. I have had them winning since before the Khalil Mack trade, and I'm doubling down on that uh, prediction. So we're going to come at you. 
Bear down, everyone. And happy day.